morning. How you guys doing this morning? You guys good? Hanging in there? Rough week? Crazy week? Good to be in the presence of God with the people of God? Amen. Amen. And every time we sing that song, I get excited. Because at the risk of saying the same thing over and over and over again, God has something to do in Greenville, and he has something to do through the folks, and he's given us a beautiful mission, and when I hear that song, every chains will be broken, I hear the chains hit the ground, come awaken your people, come awaken your city, it's like, it's like God is, is giving us a window into what he wants to do in this community, and I'm so excited. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 9 this morning, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 9, we're going to start reading in verse 1. We're picking up with a story of a character that we met last week. Um, if you were here last week, you know we talked about Stephen, and we're picking up with the story of Saul. We first learn about Saul because he's the guy holding the coats while Stephen gets killed. So he's a real great guy. Um, and this is a pivotal story in the life of the church. It's a pivotal story in the book of Acts. In fact, this is um, this is our second to last week in this Fire and Wind series. Next week is our last week in this series. The reason for that is because our goal here has been to examine what is the culture of the church. To go back to the original story of the people of God and say, what is it? What's the mission? What's the culture? And we're reaching the point in the book of Acts where the culture has been established and they move to pursuing the mission. So Acts chapter 9, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. What an opening line. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he, heared, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I want to interrupt here just for a second. This is not part of my sermon this morning, but I want to say this. We need to notice what God says. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Because in all of our sufferings, God is suffering with us. He is there. He is the man of sorrows, the suffering servant. God doesn't leave us in our pain. He is with us. Anything that has been allowed to happen to you has happened to us. It's happened to two of us. He is in it with us. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into the city. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen, the man, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument 
to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the ends of the earth. I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Then Ananias went to the house and entered. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you that it is a joy of gathering of my thoughts or my ideas that I may have forgotten, that you bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you guys here grew up going to youth camp? Anybody, like summer camp, anything like that? Has anybody been on a high ropes course before? Okay, a couple of you. When I was growing up, we went to a camp called the Master's Inn in Virginia, and they had an incredible, incredible high ropes course, like rock walls, zip lines, this giant swing where they pull you like 50 feet up in the air and they let you swing. It was awesome and terrifying. And it was great. My favorite thing that I've ever seen on a high ropes course was something called the leap of faith. Anyone ever heard of a, an obstacle called the leap of faith? Okay, a couple of you. Those of you who don't know, the leap of faith is a 32-foot telephone pole with stakes driven into the side of it to make a ladder. I couldn't get a 32-foot telephone pole in the building, so I brought a ladder. And the goal of the leap of faith is you put a harness on, you climb up to the top, you stand on the top, and at the top, six feet up and six feet out, there is a monkey bar. And you've got to jump to the monkey bar, trusting that the college student who is very distracted by the female college student standing next to him is going to pay attention and catch you when you jump and inevitably miss or then have to let go. Because the only way down from the leap of faith is the harness that is catching you. Now, I said this was my favorite high ropes course obstacle, and what I actually mean is that it was my favorite one to watch other people do. Though I have, I have completed it myself. I just want to say that. Um, This is why I love watching it, because every time, if you watch it for 30 minutes, you're going to see two things. You're going to see one, like, eighth grade, 90-pound girl who gets up there and treats it like it is nothing. Just like a boss gets up there and does it, doesn't even flinch. And then you're going to see some, like, high school linebacker guy who's like, that's no thing. I can do that. And then he's, like, picking on everybody else who's getting scared. You know, and then someone's like, you do it, man. He's like, well, my ankle. If If my ankle was feeling better, I would totally do it. Maybe next week I'll do it. Right. Here's what happens when you do the leap of faith. You put on your harness, and you start climbing. Your harness is attached to a rope, and that rope goes way up into the trees above you. And then you start climbing this telephone pole. Now, if you've ever been on top of a 32-foot telephone pole, then you know that when the wind blows, the telephone pole shakes. And if you shake, the telephone pole shakes. If anything happens, the telephone pole shakes. So you get to the top of it shaking and the whole thing shaking and there's no like bar to grab onto so you've got you know a space like this you've got to get up to the top and for insurance purposes i'm not going to stand on the total top of this ladder so you just got to imagine you get up to the top and you've just got to you have nothing to hold on to stand up while the whole thing shakes And then six feet up and six feet out doesn't seem like it's that far, does it? Until you're 32 foot up in the air on a shaking telephone pole. And then it seems like a mile 
seems absolutely impossible. You've got to jump trusting that this harness, this going up to nowhere, is going to catch you no matter what. Now, in the leap of faith, there is a point in which you cannot go back, right? Once you get on top of the leap of faith, the only way down is to fall or jump, right? That is the only choice. The only way out is for the rope to catch you and lower you to the bottom. There is no going back there. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Most followers of Jesus live our lives standing on the ladder. But the life of a disciple is the life of no going back. The life of a disciple is the life on the edge. Most Christians live on the ladder. Now, that was actually kind of nerve-wracking when you say on the ladder. It's a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. Now, here's what's going on in this story. This story is a pivotal moment in the life of the church. It's a pivotal moment in our history. Because up until this point, where Saul encounters Jesus, the people of God have been a largely Jewish community in largely Jewish places. And this is an incredible moment. As we see in the story, Saul becomes, later becomes Paul. He writes most of the New Testament, and he becomes what's known as the apostle to the Gentiles. In other words, we are here largely because of the work of Paul. This is the moment where the church begins to step into the calling that's been there from the beginning to be a blessing to all nations. But there's a lot more going on in this story than just the story of Saul and his conversion. In fact, Luke does something very intentional at the beginning of this story to make us know that this is not so much about what happened, but it's about how that happened. The story of Saul is not so much the story of a radical conversion as it is the story of the way a disciple lives in response to the call of Jesus. Luke begins the story by saying Paul, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. Not just people, not just Christians. He uses that word very intentionally. Then he tells us this story. He tells us it's the story of Saul's encounter. And then he says something again that's incredibly important. He says, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. He's highlighting something. He's highlighting the character of a disciple. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. You're not supposed to give away the point of the sermon in the beginning, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Here's the point this morning. A disciple lives with a yes to the Lord, no matter the cost. Disciples live on the edge. Most Christians, most of us live on the ladder. Ananias, the Lord comes to Ananias in a vision, and Ananias' response is, yes, Lord. Sometimes that's translated, here I am, or behold, it is I. In other words, Ananias' response is, whatever you say, Behold your servant, at your service. Ananias gives God a yes before he even knows the question. Now, here's what's important to notice in this story. Ananias actually has an opinion. He has an opinion about the situation, but he says yes to the Lord before he expresses his opinion. Now, here's where this rubs us in our modern culture, in our situation. We live in the world of options. We have opinions about everything. Think about it like this. If you buy a car, what do you do? taking on a test drive, right? If I go to a new restaurant, I look at their Instagram page. If I go to a new coffee shop and their Instagram page does not have latte art and it is not perfect latte art, I already decide I am not going to enjoy that coffee shop and I keep scrolling. Am I pretentious? Yes, probably. I'm working on it. 
We love having options. We are people with options. We want to read the reviews about something. We want to ask our friends if they've been there. We want to, we want to get the option so that we can form an opinion, and then based on that opinion, then we'll say yes. Right? When we date someone, when we meet somebody new, what do we do? What do we do? We Facebook creep them. Right? We scroll through their Instagram page. We go all the way back to the beginning of their Twitter to make sure they haven't said anything crazy. Right? We want options. Before we commit to something, we want to be able to form an opinion. And that makes sense. Even in our culture, when you go to make the final decision to commit to someone for the rest of your life, you've actually got the option to sign a prenup so that in case your opinions change, you've got options for the way out. We are people of options because we want to form an opinion before we give a yes or no. Now, it makes sense. This is everywhere in our lives. It makes sense that because this is everywhere in our lives, it would worm our way into faith. But a lot of us, we wind up praying in the way, we wind up treating God the way you treat a kid at a bowling alley. We put up the bumpers because we don't expect anything great to happen, so at least we're not going to get a gutter ball. So we wind up praying things like, well, God, just let me let me talk to one lost person this week. 50% of America is lost, and we live in a city. It doesn't take a miracle to be the lost one. God, let me show, give me an opportunity to be generous this week. And then we take the first and easiest option, right? We wind up praying prayers that we don't actually need God to answer. We can answer them on our own. We put up the bumpers with our faith. Why? Because we're options people. We want to have our opinions. We want, we want to know what we're getting ourselves into before we get ourselves into it. Or maybe we wind up doing this. We wind up praying about the decision that we've already made. We wind up having a new relationship, a new business opportunity, a new job opportunity, a new calling. And we say, God, this is what I want to do. Will you bless it? Instead of, God, this is an opportunity. What should I do? We're opinions people. Now, here's what you need to know. As a follower of Jesus, living life with the bumpers on, living life on the ladder, you're really just robbing yourself because you're never going to see the miraculous provision of God if you don't live in a way where God can provide. Right? You're never going to see the powerful move of God when you're living without dependency on his moving. You're never going to get caught if you're an opinion. You're robbing yourself. But will it get you going is when those opinions become about Now, you can see how this story would have gone differently if Ananias would have responded to God and said, hey, Paul's really dangerous. I need to see evidence that he's changed before I help him. I need to see proof that he's going to be responsible before I help him. See, here's the thing. Opinions are okay. Ananias had an opinion, but opinions are limited. Opinions don't have to build a picture. It's perfectly fine to have opinions. In fact, it's perfectly fine to have opinions about situations. You should make the best informed decision that you can. But we have to understand that our opinions are limited. We never have the whole picture. But what we wind up doing is forming opinions about other people. And we, we say, God, you know how I feel about the liberals. God, you know how I feel about the conservatives. God, if someone mentions vaccines one more time. God, God, those people, that's a dangerous neighborhood, Lord, okay? I, I, they can come here, but I'm not going to go there. 
when our opinions are about people, then they wind up inhibiting the mission. They wind up inhibiting the mission God's called us to. And what we inevitably wind up doing is drawing the line of acceptance based on our opinions instead of our faith. We wind up trying to get other people to think the way we do instead of have faith in the way that we do. Opinions are okay. It's our, right, it's our right to be confused. It's our right to have an opinion. Your opinion might be right. Your opinion might be wrong. Your opinion is definitely limited. That's not the problem. The problem is whether your yes is first and your opinion is second or your opinion is first and then you decide your answer. But when a disciple lives with a yes to the Lord, things radically change. Church, do you see that? This is not the story of Saul encountering a bright light on the road. This is the story of a disciple who said yes and then discipled the one who would bring about the most change in the ancient Near East through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the story about what happens when a disciple lives with a yes to the Lord no matter the question. Why? Because the kingdom of God moves forward on the yes of a disciple. The kingdom of God moves forward on the yes of a disciple. The Holy Spirit moves through the yes of a disciple. Things change in Greenville through the yes of disciples. Lost people groups are reached through the yes of disciples. God has chosen to use his people to accomplish his mission, and he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to do that. In other words, the mission God has called us to only is accomplished through his people saying yes first and asking questions second. The kingdom of God moves forward on the yes of a disciple. So the question simply for each of us, this is not a complex sermon. This isn't a nuanced idea. It's a simple question that we just have to ask. Does God have our yes? Or does God have our opinions? Does God have your yes? Or does God just know what you think about your opinions? Because the Holy Spirit moves through the yes of a disciple. What is that thing that you've been holding out your options for? Is it family? personal thing that you've been saying okay God I, I get it but is it a calling has God put a burden in your heart to see something specific change in society that you've been weighing out your options for is it a new business is it loving someone that genuinely doesn't deserve love is it offering forgiveness to someone that's done a lot of harm what is that thing that you know that the answer from the Lord is yes but you've been exploring your options is a life where the only option is what is taught. And then I want to tell you this. 
with the provision of God within the control of providence and God gets the glory. The miracle stories you've been hearing about all your life and God gets the glory. See, this is, this is what's left in this story. There's one more thing that's going on in this story that we have to understand because some of us here, you're sitting here thinking like, CJ, my life is unstable. CJ, everything seems like it's falling apart. This is terrifying. You don't understand the situation that I'm in. And I get it, you're right, I don't understand. And the point here is not to give shame or fear to anyone. My point here in this sermon is not to say, you haven't told God yes, shame on you. That's not the situation. Ananias was familiar with other stories. Oftentimes in scripture, you'll hear something that reminds you of something else. And this story sounds a whole lot like a story in Isaiah chapter 6. A story where God comes into the temple and he says, I've got a mission. Who can I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah responds, here I am. Send me. See, Ananias' yes was based on the story he already knew. He knew what was going on in that story. He knew that there was a calling here to a bigger picture. He knew that in his yes, God's provision would come. In his yes, God's faithfulness was proven. He knew that God was not going to call him to something that he wasn't going to be faithful in. The life of the disciple is a life on the edge. The life of the disciple is a life of no going back. And listen, listen, we can live. The forgiveness and mercy and grace of Jesus is such that we can live on the ladder. All right, we can live with a backup plan, but you will be missing out on the incredible power and purpose that God's called you to. Now, that's a decision you can make. You're forgiven, you're welcome, you're loved. Jesus loves you and accepts you, and you're still going to see some of the joy and peace and provision of God because his faithfulness isn't dependent on you, it's dependent on him. But his promises come when we live with a yes to the Lord. The mission of God comes when we live with a yes to the Lord. The kingdom comes through the yes of a disciple. Why? Because the Holy Spirit moves through the yes of a disciple. Does God have your yes? Or yes to something else? Continue to find grace and mercy and forgiveness. Ananias' opinion was right. It was a dangerous one. It was a dangerous one. But it's just a bigger picture. It's a bigger picture than teaching time like we always do and we spend time in worship but there's a good chance that if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus that there's something in your mind that, you, that the Holy Spirit has been putting his finger on that thing through the whole service and you've been saying yep that's the thing that's the thing that I've been holding out on I didn't want that to be the thing but that's the thing here's my challenge say yes to the Lord Whatever it is, whatever that thing is that you're wrestling with, whatever that thing that's been in the back of your mind this whole service, whatever that thing that you're like, I really hope the preacher doesn't say that thing, that thing is the thing the Holy Spirit wants you to say yes about. You might be here this morning and you're thinking, I don't really have anything like that. Just put this sermon in your pocket and, th and keep it for later because there's going to be a time where the Holy Spirit calls you to do something that doesn't make sense and your yes will be required to see the faithfulness and the mission of God. But if you're here right now and there is that thing weighing on your heart, there is that person, there is that place, there's that calling, there's that burden that's heavy on your soul. I want to challenge you this morning. Give God your yes first, no matter what. And you will see the bigger picture unfold. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for your promise. 
so graceful and so kind that you understand when we hold back our yeses. You understand when we live life on bumper stickers. But we thank you that you in your kindness and in your gentleness you offer us a life with you. You invite us into the mission and you promise to faithfully do it through us. So I ask that you would give each of us the courage to say yes to you, whatever the thing is that we're wrestling with. To lay our opinions at your feet and give our yes to you first, God, because we know and we trust that you move through the yes of a disciple, that you have called us to participate with you, to share in the mission that you have created in the world, the mission, the things that you're accomplishing in the world, and we do not want to miss out on the mission.